0: Oh come on! Good afternoon. All right. I've been through a couple of services here. I know y'all, y'all can get excited, but I'm so glad to be here with you and um, and with my friend Pastor Robert. I, um, you know, I'm a I am a native San Diegan, and so. Um, so when you meet someone new, you, you know, I think we have a responsibility to greet them. And so when I met him 15 years ago, I said, hi, welcome, stay a while. Hey, and uh, that's and <laughs> and and what he said to me, I plan to, um, plan to be here for a good while. And um, I'm thankful that we have been friends through those years or through these years. Um, We've seen some of our friends come and go, um, but uh, God has been good to us. Well, as, as you know, and I, some, it's been, I, I'm, excuse me for just, if I'm stuttering or kind of like trying to get, I, I'm, it's, in preacher's term, it's like I'm trying to get my preaching legs under me, um, and uh, I have been blessed today to be here. To bring a word of encouragement, to um, share with you a little bit of my journey. I know a little bit of your journey and uh, how they have, what God's doing in, in, in the city of San Diego. As I said, I'm born and raised here, so when I drove up, when I got off the 94 and turned at Euclid, um, I could remember stuff. Um, I remember going left on Euclid and uh, Down on the corner of Euclid and Logan, which no one would go down there nowadays. But I used to walk down there as a child because there was a jack-in-the-box. And I used to walk home from from St. Rita's Academy. We lived on the corner of 47th and Beta on the west corner. Uh, If you go down there now, you won't find it. You'll find a freeway pillar on the 805. That's, uh, that's where my house was, it was a neighborhood that I grew up in, and uh, Caltrans came and they built the 805 freeway, that's how long I've lived in, in town, there wasn't the 805 freeway. So you, you can imagine it was a whole different way to go south. But um, I remember walking home from, I went to St. Rita's and we used to walk home from school, and um, I, I thought it was, just, it was an adventure. Thought I was, you know, I thought I was a, a big kid. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not as old as my hair would think make you think, but, um, but that's okay. Um, but anyway, I used to walk home with my brother and my two sisters. And um, you probably, i probably shared about my two sisters before. My two sisters were not um, like me and my brother, darker skinned. They were actually rather kind of more olive skinned, with beautiful long hair, um, because their parents were Filipino and our parents were African American, but because we were raised together, we created our own ethnicity. We were Afropinos. <laughs> and we just mess with people's minds, you know. Um, go shopping for school clothes and with my mom and or my birth mother, and they would go, you know, who are these four kids? And, and my mom would just like dare people to ask who, they, who we were. You know, they're mine. And my mother was dark complected like myself. But anyway, that's a whole nother sermon on another day. But um, I used to walk down Euclid and cross over. And uh, as I said, I used to think I'm walking. I was the last. I'm the youngest. So I would be walking last. And uh, my brother Paul would be out front and then my sister Joanne and my sister Linda. And we would walk and we thought, I mean, I just thought I was a big kid. I was. I'm talking about kindergarten age, walking home from school. That, that just, well, it shows you lived in a different era. But, um, but we'd walk and, and we would go by my godparents' house first. My godfather was Roland Jackson, who used to give me peanuts. And then we'd walk past, from here, from there, we'd walk and we'd go up the hill. And um, he would, we'd look behind and he'd be watching us and we'd get to the top of the hill, and we'd turn and we'd wave by, and then we'd look down the hill, and our dad would be at the bottom of the hill. And he'd be outside with a hose, if you can imagine this, squirting down the the parking lot of the place where he had a part-time job. And his part-time job, he was the manager of the Jack in a Box. And so he would be outside every afternoon, Monday through Friday, washing off the parking lot. Again, we thought we were big kids. Dad was watching us come down. So we'd go to Jack in the Box and we'd get a, um, a hamburger, or no, or we'd get a shake, and then we'd get um, a hamburger. Sometimes we'd get a hamburger, or sometimes we'd get a taco. And, you know, I still, but anyway, that's another sermon. You know, I'm sure the tacos on youth night, or youth, young adult night, it aren't going to be the tacos that they have at Jack in the Box because I think we're still trying to figure out what's inside those tacos, amen? But anyway, that's a, again, that's another story or another sermon, too. But then we'd walk past Jack in the Box, and we'd say goodbye to Dad, and we'd walk up the hill, and he would be out there, and he'd watch us. And then we'd get to the crest of the next hill, and that was 47th Street. And we'd look down, and there our mother would be out in the front yard. And we'd walk down, and she would greet us at home. And that was our, our adventure, um, and then I always, my parents always, my mom always would say, okay, um, take the rocks out of your pocket. Um, I was a kindergartner. I found beautiful rocks on the way every day. And so I had to, you know, um, so we had a lovely rock garden in the front yard. Um, but I, I remember that, and I remember I remember the folks that lived in our neighborhood. And it wasn't too long ago that I was a. Uh, I was shopping in a store, and the lady who was checking me out, you know, the cashier. Um, <laughs> i didn't come out right. It didn't come out, didn't come out just the way I wanted it. But I, she was the cashier, and she was, she was smiling at me. And um, the funny thing was, she said, after we got done and she helped me and all that kind of stuff, she says, you probably don't remember me, do you? I said, no. And she said, we used to eat mud pies together. And I'm not talking about mud pies, the, the, des- the dessert. I'm talking about real genuine mud pies. Yes, I know some of, your, some of your young folks are like going, are you serious? Yes, we ate, we took dirt, mixed yes. it with water, yes. put it in a pan, let it dry, and then we ate it. <laughs> All the minerals and vitamins we needed, but that's again. I, I Robert, I don't know what happened. Why? I don't know where this is just not. But I, I'm telling you. Well, maybe the encouragement is I'm here. I have survived. I survived all of that. Um, survived, survived, uh, growing up and and eating mud pies that were genuine dirt. Um, wow. But the young lady that was was. The cashier, she was a young lady that lived in our neighborhood, and she remembered me. And she said, I remember being your friend, and I said, wow, thank you. She says, you know, I don't ever remember us having a fight. I just remember being your friend, and that's something that I cherish, being able to to say Someone being able to say, I remember being your friend. And I don't know if you've got friends in your life that you, I hope you have friends in your life that have been friends for a long time. Um, my best friends from high school, um, we still make each other laugh. And, and just recently I celebrated the 50th anniversary of graduating from elementary school. I was invited, but I couldn't go because I told them I could. I'd love to be there, but it's a work day. And they had, it on a, they had a breakfast on a Sunday morning. Um, surprisingly, some of them showed up at the church to surprise me because they remembered us being friends when we were... But anyway, God is so good, and, and we're here. My intention today is to, to allow God to use me encourage you. I know a little bit of your journey. I know what I've read, what uh, Pastor Robert has shared with us um, in our pastor's group, um, what he shared with me personally, and I want to share with you a little bit of our journey at Meridian Church. Uh, I've been pastoring uh, Meridian. I'm technically in my 18th year, finishing my 18th year as the lead pastor, but I served uh, as good Southern Baptist, I served 18 months as the interim pastor. Um, so you tack that on, so I'm really getting close to 20. And um, it's not where I expected God would have me, but it's where he allowed me to go and planted me. And, um, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, I can hear my voice cracking because I, I never imagined that I'd be there. I never imagined that I would serve in a church um, and go through what I've gone through, but God has been gracious and God has encouraged my heart. Um, Wasn't probably a year and a half ago, was in a hotel room in Dallas, Texas, and it was dark, and I really I really felt like quitting, quitting ministry and just packing it all in and saying, Lord, I'm done. Tired of these people, tired of all the stuff that's going on. I wanted to serve you, and that's what I want to do. And then Spirit spoke to me and said, you're not going to quit because I'm using you. And as Pastor Robert shared, I was blessed to serve on a national level, the Southern Baptist Convention to serve as the chairman of the executive committee. Um, and you may not that may not make any difference to you, um, but it's a one hundred and three year old organization. And I was the first African American voted to be the chairman. And so if you Google it, you'll find out what I went through. But anyway. <laughs> um, but I'm here today to encourage you because God brought me through the goodness of God. In Acts chapter 14 is where I want to really just concentrate. Um, it says, that at, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. and There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against them, or against the brothers, excuse me. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and to stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lycaonian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the privilege once again to proclaim your word. Lord, I pray that you'd think with my mind and speak with my voice. I stand in obedience to the call that you have placed upon my life and I ask you, God, to use me as your instrument this day. Encourage your people. They've come, Lord, not to hear from Roland, but to hear from you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would allow me to decrease and you increase. And then, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Lord, may that, Lord, be what your people hear today. It's in your mighty and precious name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. So six quick points, and we'll um, get out of the way. It's interesting, here Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. They've been sent out and they were in Antioch and now they've moved on because in Antioch, they again they had been, well, some trouble had started and, and they had really been expelled from the region. But they had a purpose, and the purpose is really found there in verse 1. It says, there they spoke so effectively that a, that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. My brothers and sisters, as we, as believers, as, as Christians, our job is to remember that we are to share the gospel. We are to carry the good news Not just the preachers that stand on the podium, but all of us as believers have the responsibility to share the gospel. And some of us will do it in one way or another. Some will do it by the giftedness that we have. Or we do it by the giftedness that we have. But we have to maintain in our minds what our purpose is. We have to keep on, if you will, keeping on. Well, in the, in the text, as they were doing this, it says there in verse 2 that they that this poison, the, there was a group that refused to believe, and so they stirred up the Gentiles, and it poisoned their minds against the brothers, against Paul and Barnabas and those who were traveling with them. And if we're mindful, if we go back to Acts 13, we'd find that this isn't the first time, because in Acts 13 specifically verse 50 it says but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region and I know that that no one in here has ever been expelled from a school (laughs) amen because you've all been beautiful wonderful great children and, and never got expelled but just in case you don't know expelled means kicked out never to go back you gotta get out of there you gotta go to another school well here they got they were expelled from their region it's like they got kicked out of San Diego County and at that point you can imagine as they got kicked out and they're going on they go on to Iconium and they could get there and they find again there's some poison and, and they've, they've been expelled from Antioch and so they come to this new area and in this new area people start again rebelling or not rebelling but, but putting them out or ready to put them out and look what they did it's interesting in verse 3 it says so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. They didn't quit. They didn't pack up and move to the next city. They stayed there. I don't know what a considerable amount of time was, but that's what the text says, that they spent a considerable time. And when they were in this time that they were there, they spoke boldly. They were, if you can imagine, they were. I can imagine they were preaching the gospel with power, with force, with vigor. They didn't even need amplifiers. I'm sure they were sharing the gospel with all that they had. And it says there in the text that because they were doing it, it enabled them, his grace, God's grace, enabled them to do miraculous signs and wonders. Now, signs and wonders, I'm sure you know, is is evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's not done to convince those who are unbelievers, but it's b- done by those who are. They're done by those who are believers, as a testimony of He who is within us, the power and the strength that we have. And in fact, in Acts chapter four, they prayed for this. In fact, it says, "Now the Lord, now Lord, it says, consider their hearts and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness." Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. It wasn't about them, but it was about Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Just a little bit of a commercial. Sign up for prayer and worship night. Come and pray together. Because as we pray together as believers, we'll get, we'll get the power of the Holy Spirit, and the place will shake, and people will know that we are the children of God. Yeah, yeah. That there's something in us that is, it needs to be expressed, and it'll be expressed in many ways. Yeah. Just hold on. I got 10 more minutes. I'm going to be out of here. <laughs> Me, Amen? Amen? Yeah. But, but here's the thing. The, the unbelievers, they wanted a miracle. They wanted to see something happen. But Jesus said in Mark 8, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Generation, those who are waiting for a miracle before they'll believe, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that's not what the miracles are for. The miracles will be done by those who believe in me. And and I know I, I, I didn't tell you all about, wow, well, I forgot all about the, the cabins that we're building on the property at Meridian. God has done a miracle in three years. We started to build these emergency sleeping cabins for women, homeless women with children. We built one. Um, well, that's, wow, that's, That's what the cabins, that's what the village looks like now. Just dirt lot. It was tumbleweed village is what we used to call it at the church. Because we would grow tumbleweeds and whack them down every 90 days, throw them away and wait for more to grow. Then we'd do it again. But now we have these beautiful cabins that have been built that we have have approval from the city to move ladies in. And they will be coming in for 90 days. And in that 90-day period, first thing we want, them to do, we want them to do is to rest for three days. Because if they've been living unsheltered on the street, they have PTSD. So they need to stay on. They need to just, just in the vernacular of the young people today, they just need an opportunity to chill. Yeah. And then after they've chilled out a little bit, then we'll ask to engage them in the system into filling out applications. And you all know... We don't make a a decision, an important decision in our life when we're not rested, when we're tired, when we can't think straight. We all want to step back and say, give me a chance to really think about it. I know my parents used to say, sleep on it overnight. Well, we're going to ask them to sleep on it three nights before they engage in the system. But here's how our journey has has gone, that when we, we started, and I'm going to fast forward to to August of 2019, when we built the first cabin on the property at Meridian. And we built it as a demonstration so people would see this, so maybe there would be an idea that people would build more of them. Well, then we were encouraged to build a village on our church property. And they said, Roland, just go ahead and build it. It's part of the mission of the church. If you have any problem with the city, figure that out later. And I said, no, what if we did it the right way? What if we got permission? What if we got the permits? What if we actually went through the system and did this the right way? Here's one of the things that I, I think will—it'll be a benefit. It's going to benefit the next church that does this, because we'll be able to tell them, here's the potholes along the way. Here's how you can, you know, not shorten the process, but here's how you can navigate the process. One of the things that happened was that we realize that this was God's work not ours and one of the things that I, I talk about often to our congregation at, at uh, Meridian is that God's at work all around us whether we want to acknowledge that or not we wake up God's working and God doesn't need our help he's already doing the work and that's really one of the seven realities of experiencing God that Henry Blackaby and Claude King wrote like 20 years ago, 20-plus years ago. But they talk about God's at work and we need to have a relationship with God. He's, He's really going after us. He's pursuing us. And he invites us to join him in what he's doing. And then when he does, he speaks to us. He's, You know, do you want to do this? And then comes the crisis of belief. It's not a crisis of faith, but a crisis of belief. Are we willing... To adjust our lives and be obedient to him to do the work that God wants to be done in that place through us. And so we have to make that adjustment. We made that adjustment at Meridian. We got out of the way. We have decided to obey God and experience his work. One of the things that happened, part of the testimony is that, like I said, they were, here in our text, in verses 4 and 5, the people are divided in the city. There was was outside forces against them, and even inside forces were against them. And when we were building the the cabins, or once we had the demonstration cabin built, there was really, there was some opposition. I I kid you not. The opposition didn't come, we didn't take it personal, but we understood that the, the struggle that we were in was a struggle, not of flesh and blood, but a struggle in the spiritual realm. And so we, we decided, you know, God, we're, we're pressing through, not on who we are, but on who you are. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And even when, when it came time that, and I'll tell this shortly, the, the planning commission, they had they had a list of 19 items that they said we needed to add to our proposal to be safe. And most times you'd say, oh man, that's upsetting, that's a, that's a hurdle. And I Said, I just prayed about it and said, okay. And the planning commission said, what? I said, okay. We want the same thing you want. We want people to be safe. We don't want to hurt anyone. That's not our goal in the church. We want to love people in the community. And so they said, oh, okay. Well, let's look at this list again. Well, you know what? You really don't need this. You don't need that. And they started to take things off the list. So the list started at 19, ended up with 11. And we said, oh, okay, whatever whatever you all want. But here's the thing. One of the commissioners came out to the church, and he said, you know, Pastor, one of the things that usually happens when we give people a whole bunch of conditions that we think that they can't meet, first of all, no one says okay like you did. That was really strange. That kind of threw us for a loop. The second thing is usually this is when people quit. And this is, this is not a, this isn't a, a, a high-up government official. This is one of the people who had to, had to have their hand on what we were doing, and his recommendation to us was don't quit. Whatever you do, don't quit. So, wow. How can how can we not quit? You know, we're, it was it looked like it was just going to overcome us. But here's here's the thing, brothers and sisters. As we know, it's our fight is not against flesh and blood, but we do know that if we don't quit, we will be victorious, because we're not being victorious in ourselves, but we're being victorious in Christ Jesus. And so, even as they were trying to to do this, it says that. One of the things that happened is that they were, they found out about this plot in Iconium. But it says they were protected, if you will, because they found out about the plot. They knew what to do. They, they circumvented the plot. They went around it. And ultimately, what did they do? They began to, they not began, they continued to preach. That's what it says in verse 7. That it says that where they continued to preach the good news. I submit to you today that the reason that they were able to to hang in there is because, first of all, they remembered their purpose. They went to Iconium to preach the gospel, to tell people the good news. So they kept on doing that. They didn't get discouraged. But also what kept them in there, what kept them hanging in the game was that they had a relationship with Jesus Christ. It was a personal relationship. You know Paul's story and you know Barnabas' story. And I know today that some of you in here, in this room, are going through, let me just be clear, some of you are going through hell. It might be in your marriage, might be on your job, might be in your family. And bless you, you've done a great job today of cleaning up and presenting yourself as having nothing going on. That's a problem. But I'm here to tell you today, to encourage you, that if you hang on to Jesus, what you've put on the outside will become your reality. The power of the Holy Spirit will grab a hold of your life, and what you're going through, it's not for you. You're in the middle of this storm, and you're in the middle of the storm so that when you come through and know that God brought you through you're gonna be able to share the testimony of how you made it through with someone who God's gonna bring into your life that needs to hear what you have to say now please don't please don't think I'm mad it's just when I get when I get excited about what God has done I, I just I, I just want to, to shout emphatically yeah. to let people know yeah. that what he's done is real. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what he's doing with you all, and, and this this happened to me in, in, this, in this whole thing of building these cabins. Guy calls me from Houston, Texas, and says to me, Roland, you don't get it. I'm like, what? I've been at this church for nearly 20 years. We're doing this whole thing. What do you mean I don't get it? And he said, you're concentrating on the ladies in front of you. What's in your face? But what you're doing is generational. He said, well, explain that to me. He said, you're doing these cabins for women with children. That child's going to grow up. And will tell the testimony of when their mom, whose life was in a mess, was living on the street, came and stayed 90 days in a cabin that was built on a church campus and people just loved on her. She got her life together and that child grew up. And that child's gonna tell that story to their family. Yes. All peoples, what you're going through to build a, a a facility for the glory of God to shine the light in the dark place. It's not just about you, but it's about the generations that will follow you, that will sit in the seats that you're going to occupy, that will share the gospel that you're you're living out and they're grabbing a hold of for the next generation and the next generation after that. So it's not about you. It's not about what you've experienced. It's about what he has done and will continue to do. But here's the thing. You have to keep on keeping on. You cannot, should not, and I know your pastor well enough to know that you will not quit. Because God is going to, is doing a work through you that's going to affect generations after generations after generations. Let's pray together. (laughs) Father, I just, I thank you again for this body of believers, this local fellowship known as All People's Church. Father, I pray that you would bless them in a mighty way. Lord, I pray that you would bless the leadership to have, Lord, supernatural faith. I pray that you would encourage their hearts that, God, what you're doing now through them will have eternal significance. We have not seen nor have we met those who will be blessed by the faithfulness of this fellowship. Lord, I pray that you give them boldness to proclaim your word, to proclaim your word in an area of our city, an area of our county, an area of this country that needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. So Lord, use them. Put a hedge of protection around them. And Lord, remind them that you are, you are God. And that you are their protector in time of need. Bless them, God. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.